everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Coffee with Yvonne, a show for creatives and entrepreneurs. And I'm just really excited because it is our, I think, fourth episode this season. And we have been receiving such great feedback from social media to, you know, people who have listened to the show. And it just makes me really glad to know that I'm putting out good content out there to share with all of you guys of brands you may not be aware of, creatives who are doing their thing in the industry, and just, you know, sharing a bit more of myself with you as I become more comfortable on the microphone in the podcast format. Okay. Just letting you know, this week was a little difficult. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to even lie to you in terms of getting ready for the podcast and making sure I'm giving you good energy every time I'm getting on this mic. I've been a little busy when it comes to balancing work in the nine to five. And I just wanted to make sure when I do get on this mic and I share with you, it is in clear mind, clear body, and clear conscious, and that I'm giving you the best energy possible. That being said, we have a great episode planned for today. I have a special guest that, you know, they bring so much insight to the table when it comes to fashion and the culture. And I just wanted to make sure that this is an open and honest conversation. And I'm always creating a safe space for my guests. So with that being said, grab your coffee and let's chat. Before we get into this week's episode, let's make sure we do our industry news segment that's called What's the Brew, which is brought to you by Black Nerd Coffee. Black Nerd Coffee is founded by two HBCU grads and is a Black-owned, woman-co-founded e-commerce business. As a coffee roaster, they specialize in small batch roasted coffee in whole bean and ground finish. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook at Black Nerd Coffee. Coffee nerds unite. All right, so looking at our first story, which I would like to call Directing Change, the story was shared on Essence, and Maximilian Davis, who is the former head of his own label, is now the creative director at Salvatore Ferragamo. By the way, he is the first Black person to ever hold this position. I have my own personal thoughts about that, but we're going to keep it brief. But progress is progress. Let's just put it like that. According to the press release, Davis said, I am deeply honored to be joining Ferragamo and grateful for the opportunity to build on the rich and profound heritage of the house. Ferragamo represents a dedication and timeless elegance and sophistication that I find incredibly inspiring. I'm looking forward to articulating my vision, elevated by the codes of Italian craftsmanship, quality, and innovation. Also to let you know, he comes from the Trinidadian background and he consistently uses this as a source of inspiration in his work. And I have a lot of anticipation to see if he brings that also to the table for Salvatore Ferragamo. To be totally transparent, I really hope that this level of representation continues to improve in the creative-led industries and that we keep in mind that when we get to these positions that we have to mentor and help to shape the future career paths for others who wish to follow in a similar career trajectory that we have. So I'm glad to see him in this role, but I'm curious to see what he does with this position. Moving on to our next story, the new-ish American dream. American-founded brand Ralph Lauren, it's pronounced Lauren, by the way, but Ralph Lauren is finally recognizing the influence of Black American culture in its advertising. This story was originally shared on the Washington Post and was written by the legendary Robin Givon. 
The Fashion House partnered with HBCU's Morehouse and Spelman to develop a 30-minute ad campaign complete with photography and picture books to display the richness and validity of the Black American experience, as well as how the culture has largely shaped but also been ignored in the American dream narrative. It is speculated that Ralph Lauren was most likely inspired by the George Floyd protests of 2020, when and after perhaps one of the few Black employees wasn't sure if he could continue working for the fashion giant because he did not feel seen. When he heard this from his employee, the light switch all of a sudden went off and most likely inspired this collection. Now, again, being transparent, as a lifelong fan of the brand, mainly because of my mom, I'm glad to see the progress and acknowledgement of Black culture in creative spaces. I just hope it is not performative. But I'll keep a lookout and give you updates as needed of what's going on with this constantly developing story. In our final story, before we get to our interview segment, Layaway is back, sort of. So this story was shared on Morning Brew, which for my marketers and creatives out there is a really good newsletter to follow if you want to stay up to date on industry trends and things that are happening in our field. But let's just throw it back a little bit, right? You remember layaway back in the day? You know that payment plan your mom used to do for like your school clothes or like a big purchase like furniture for the house? Well, it is back in a rebranded way as buy now and pay later. And this new payment option became really popular during the early days of the Panda Express. That's my way of saying the pandemic for y'all who don't know, but it's a really popular way of paying for things, especially as people sat home with their devices and were sitting there looking at the homes and realizing they didn't like any of their furniture or the layout. And it was a great way to hold off on paying it on upfront and doing incremental payments over time. So we saw this rise in popularity with apps like Klarna, Affirm, even PayPal offer this type of payment structure. And you can use this, everyone, from Walmart to Gucci. I'm not lying to you. You can really put a payment plan on that bag you've been eyeing with Gucci. Anyway, now let's move into stores as a pay at the register option and rumor is it may start showing up on your credit report since it's technically a loan we can hold on to that t for a little bit but just be wary about using these payment plan options as a substitute for paying up front this week's special guest is someone that i honestly randomly met at the airport in nola the weekend of essence fest in 2019 at luggage claim <laughs> i don't know how we met but i've been following them on social ever since and been cheering for them in their advocacy work and just showing different aspects to black culture and their knowledge on black luxury and design so Xavier Clark, or Zay, is my special guest for this week, and I'm super excited to chat and have an honest conversation about the culture as it relates to the fashion industry, to inclusivity, and really discussing what it means to be an advocate with using your platforms in the right way. Enjoy my interview with Xavier Zay Clark. (laughs) 
me behave today. <laughs> okay. So as I mentioned to you, I have a special guest joining me for coffee. Xavier Clark or Zay is a not is a black non-binary non-binary and queer person living in the Washington DC area. Zay utilizes they pronouns pronouns and serves as a federal senior strategist. Okay, government job. Um, federal senior strategist and is a fourth year PhD student focused on diversity, equity, inclusion, access, justice, DEIA for short, management in the fashion industry and government. They are a content creator that centers on handbags and teaching others how to slave responsibly. They actively works to explore how systems and institutions are structured to marginalize bio POC, so black indigenous people of color for those who do not know what that stands for, and economically disadvantaged communities through space, policy, and societal practices. And with that lovely introduction, welcome to Coffee with Yvonne Zay. How you doing? I'm doing good. That was a beautiful introduction. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I had to do you justice because your bio, it gave what it was supposed to give. Thank you. Mm-hmm. First of all, I just want to talk about how you call it your your cloth-office? Cloth mm-hmm. Closet office. Your cloth-office. Okay, your closet office is giving me the right kind of light because, as you know, we share the ring light struggle is real for people of color, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to find the light that doesn't make us look yellow. (laughs) So, anywho, I wanted to get started with talking about more importantly how important it is to allow freedom in fashion, right? And fashion to me is a great way to showcase not just your individuality or voice without constraint, but I want to know from you, how has fashion allowed for you to develop your voice? Oh, yeah. So I think fashion for me became a a third language for me. Um, It was a way for me to realize that I have control over how people see me to a certain point. And so um, as a non-binary person, it let me take power back into shaping a narrative about my own body and not allowing other people to make that for me. So mm-hmm. through the things I wear, through the companies I support, fashion is that medium that really helps me to say who I am and who I'm not. And I think that's really important because I don't think people understand the power that you can project through your clothing. You know, for me, I always say that my fashion icon is Tracy Ellis Ross. Oh, yeah. With Yes, I love her with a mix of Diane von Furstenberg from the print side. But it allows for me to feel comfortable in who I am, especially as a, a plus size woman. There's a, a lot of brands that are not supporting curvier women the way that they should. It has evolved, of course. But we kind of take back the power of how we see ourselves through the clothing that we wear. So that's very important. But I do want to know for, from you, this flex for the gram culture, I don't know if that's a cool term anymore. I am an elder millennial. I accept it. But <laughs> in this flex for the gram culture we are currently in, it seems to me that people are more concerned with what they're wearing instead of how they're wearing it. So, you know, the Gucci down to the socks or Balenciaga mamas or, you know, all the other things that everyone drops in their favorite hip hop songs. Um, If you had to define it, what is the difference? And we're going to make some people mad. We might. But what is the difference between fashion and style? Thank you so much for this question. (laughs) You're so right. Everybody is so consumed with keeping up with the Joneses that they forget they can be the Joneses. 
Um, and I think a lot of times it's because they don't understand the difference between fashion and style. Um, and also, if you don't mind, I'll throw in trims too as a definition. Throw it in. Throw um, it in. It's like gumbo. Yeah. So fashion is the medium. Like by definition is, you know, the medium, the textile, the print, the company, the brand. It's the thing that is allowing you then to go into a style. Um, the style is how you go about using those different brands, the different silhouettes, the cuts, the, the textures of the fabrics, the type of bag, big, small, um, and how you adorn that on your body. I always mm-hmm. tell people style is about how you adorn the self and understand yourself. Um, because if you don't, you will be a trend. Mm-hmm. Um, a trend is following what everybody else is doing. And like you had said, being Gucci down to the top, to the bottom, is that really you? Is that really your style? Because you can often see how fashion wears a person rather mm. than a person wearing fashion. I'm looking for a collection plate because you just preached a word right there. Because I've seen so many people, and I'm not going to throw any celebrities out there, but I've seen so many people who have the Gucci puffer with the Gucci dress with the Gucci over-the-knee boots. And I'm like, okay, this could be fly, but it doesn't feel like it's your vibe. It feels like you're just wearing this because you saw it on the runway. You had to have the exclusive pieces before they drop so you can stunt on the gram. And those shoes don't even look comfortable because your your foot kind of wobbling to the right. But we don't need to talk about that. That's that's a side conversation. <laughs> but in terms of Black culture, we know... Black culture has influenced and moved the needle in the industry for decades, right? And yet we still do not receive credit for our work or the trends that we influence, even down to what I mentioned to you about the Gucci down to the socks. Gucci seemed to skyrocket in their sales. Same thing with Louboutin with their red bottoms when Cardi B mentioned them in her um, popular song, Bodak Yellow. Mm -hmm. But we still do not receive that credit for what we do in moving the culture forward. So from you, in your opinion, how can brands help amplify black content creators and designers? But more importantly, how can we help to be better advocates for ourselves in those spaces? Yeah. So I think that's a bifurcated answer. Um, I think on the one half, when you talk about what the corporation can do is understanding where their bottom line comes from. Um, often since I'm a handbag person, I always tell people, people of color buy the most leather goods in the United States. BIPOC people do that. Mm-hmm. And when you see these bags coming out in the U.S., is it something you actually want? I think a corporation also has to understand how to market to, to that consumer in a way that isn't disparaging. I think a lot of times, uh, and this is what my research is in, they commodify the body and Mm -hmm. they look at us as just a piece of money rather than looking at us as something that has, could actually become a brand um, family member, if you will. Like, Mm -hmm. doesn't matter how much I'm spending with you, I'm spending it there. So the way you market to me does matter or I'm not going to do it. I think a brand I will actually say, I hate how they're doing this currently is Gucci. Um, I think the reason I say that is historically Gucci was a space, um, especially with Logomania in the early 2000s, 
that people of color gravitated towards. We brought that to the forefront of putting a lot of logos together and making it street style. Well, Dapper Dan. Now they're doing uh, yes, so Dapper Dan, who mm-hmm. they sued, uh, yes. <laughs> now works with them. Irony. <laughs> Irony there. Um, and so, but because of that, you know, that logo mania, I think people turned it trendy and, a, and Gucci in itself started to commodify something that was Black style. Mm. And taking that out of the customer and not having the customer's voice involved is a problem. Mm. And I think that is where the company misses it. A lot of times they assume they know what we want, but y'all aren't having focus groups. Y'all aren't having interviews with us. Y'all aren't actually having surveys or having your sales associates or client advisors have conversations with us and ask us, why did you choose that piece? Mm -hmm. Why, Mm -hmm. what about that made you really like it? And if I'm saying, oh, I see this other girl, I got it. Maybe that should be the point where they're like, actually, baby, let's look at some other things. Yes. Like it needs to, because you need to help us also steward our money in your company. And they're not doing that. So that's my issue there. It's like, there's a a lack of stewardship of the consumer on that side. But then on the consumer side, I think we don't realize how much power we have. Um, I think we go into the space and we're often, we just, we, we deal with poor treatment because we want to keep up with everybody else. We, um, by these trends, but we actually aren't educating ourselves. And I think that is a big portion that I think we could do better is ask questions. Mm-hmm. Why is this that way? Is that actually, um, is that one that's on the back or how many pieces are in the company? What's the quantity? Mm-hmm. Is this actually a limited piece? Or are you just telling me it's a limited piece? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I think as consumers realize that they actually can advocate for themselves, that is where I think the uh, the uh, company itself will have to make a choice of, okay, wow, they're not going to deal with this subpar treatment. We actually have to treat them better because they're going to, they're not going to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And I think especially as black people, you know, we were all about boycotting different brands for de- de- generations. And I think we just kind of let that go. And we need to start doing that again to show the power of our, do- our dollar. Yeah. And one thing that just recently happened in the time that we're recording this podcast. Um, I don't know if you're aware of it, but Ralph Lauren recently did a partnership with Spelman and Morehouse to release a collection inspired by the new American dream. Now, before we get excited, it took his exposure to the Black Lives Matter protests that happened in 2020 with George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, et cetera, et cetera. And his, one of his employees had to make a choice that he didn't really want to work there anymore because he didn't feel seen in that space. He was looking around and said, how much longer are we going to have this predominantly white space where I don't see myself in what's being produced in this brand? So Ralph Lauren worked with Morehouse and Spelman on a licensing deal to create this collection and also a 30-minute long advertising campaign about that collection to kind of showcase the, um, the Black version of what the American dream looks like in terms of education, um, progress, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the point that I'm making is it took him seeing the struggle that one of his employees was experiencing to see how human he was in his experience and that the American dream is not one dimensional. 
because as much as I love Ralph Lauren and I'll be totally transparent, my mom has the Ralph Lauren Crest Blazers that I actually wore on my interviews when I was first graduating from college. I was like, yeah, this is this is professional. This is chic, you know, and I even have a vintage one myself. But when I looked at his like runways or his collection, it always seemed like we were the afterthought, even in the way that we were used in like campaigns and the models that he used. It didn't make it feel like we were really part of the overall story. And I think to your point, unfortunately, because there's not enough of us in those spaces where we have a seat at the table, where we have a voice in the design process, where we could go, mm, that don't look too good right now. For example, Gucci with that one sweater. Mm -hmm. You know the sweater I'm talking about, but with that one sweater that we immediately were up at arms about. But then at the same time, when we are talking about these brands, we don't hold their feet to the fire enough. We kind of get upset and then we move on to the next thing that makes us upset. And then they kind of go, well, they forgot about it. So let's move on. So I just wanted to share that with you because there is movement, but it's just taken too long to include us in the narrative and see us as human in our experiences and the value of what we bring to the table in, in terms of being a consumer of these products. So, yeah. But on another note, we're going to move to something a bit more positive, like the Black-owned labels that have risen to more uh, visibility because of the protests with George Floyd in 2020. And with the rise of the Black-owned labels in recent years, um, there's still skepticism amongst our own. Zay, you know I'm telling the truth, but there's still skepticism amongst our own if these brands are worth supporting with our dollars. For example, the hotel for our debacle with him raising his price tag um, because he wanted to produce more luxury goods or offer more luxury products, and people are upset about that. Now, why do you think there is such a hesitancy to put Black-owned brands on the same level as other fashion houses like a Gucci, YSL, or St. Laurent? Well, St. Laurent and YSL are the same. They just changed their names. But, like, why do you think there's such a hesitancy to do that? Um, I think it's longevity. Um, when you see something that says Black-owned, like, not Black-only, but Black-owned or woman-owned, queer-owned, um, naturally people think there's exclusion happening and that's only for certain people, but also mm -hmm. that it doesn't have the same level of grit that a brand like Burberry or Saint Laurent or uh, Bottega Veneta have um, because those have been around for decades or centuries. Um, and I think until we get past that mindset of thinking time equals quality um, and demographic equals poor, um, mm. it will continue to have that stigma around it. But also, a thing I will add to that is, I think it it is also how it's marketed. Um, I think a lot of times when our brands come out, they do hit on that we want it to be Black-centered but that makes it not inclusive for everyone. So it's harder for people to buy into it mm -hmm. because they're like, well, all y'all did was make it for you. You didn't make it for everyone to come here and buy a Telfar bag. Like if you're in New York, yeah, everybody has a, a, a Bushwick Birkin. However, if you're in DC, people are like, eh, we like them, but like, eh. And it's no shade, but it, it's- uh, Not at all, yeah. not at all. 
<laughs> it just because we, I think for here, people are like, what are you doing for us? What, like, what, how are you actually trying to make it everybody feel seen? Or are you just trying to get, be able to have a seat at the table with the rest of the New York Fashion Week girls? Um, and I think that is a big thing that they miss. Um, and I'm going to say something. It's not shady. I'm Please, really this honest. is a safe space. Say what um, you need to say. Um, I think that happened with Hanifa. Hanifa came to DC and made this big production of a show um, as her first runway show. And she's from the area. But you didn't make it inclusive of people who might not have 100,000 followers or might not have as much clout, if you will, but are from this area and are doing that work. And they didn't get invites. Or when they asked how to get invited, they didn't get responses. It was very hectic. And I know what goes into the behind the scenes of all that. It's busy. But it shows that, you know, sometimes it's more about the brand taking off rather than the brand actually being about that community. Mm. So that brings me to my next question. Um, what Black-owned brands are you currently feeling at the moment from the pieces that they create down to their content? Because it's not just about the clothing. It's about how it's presented, how it shows up, and the quality of the work that's being pushed out on these mediums of channels that we use from social media to our website. So who are you feeling right now? Yeah, people that I'm feeling right now are Brandon Blackwood. Me too! <laughs> Brandon is Brandon. Like, I love him. <laughs> he gets on social media and does not change. He's like, yes. I'm, I'm me. Like you, I'm Jamaican. I live my life. If you don't like it, you don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I Telfar, I think, has done the work, and mm-hmm. like, you do get quality with a Telfar bag. And mm-hmm. overlooking that, I think, is kind of disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of gets to me when people do that. Um, oh my God, what is Kirby J Raymond's brand called? I just lost it. Oh. Um, I follow. Oh, Pierre Moss. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Pierre Moss, sorry. Um, amazing. I think that is a Black brand. People need to be invested in. Like, if you want mm-hmm. to have a couture piece in your collection in your lifetime at a manageable price, buy Pierre Moss. <laughs> um, he will be a couturier. I, I, <laughs> um, and then uh, Pomoja, she's a handbag company. Um, she creates, um, handbags that are very women centered. And the reason that she does it is, um, she gives a lot of her proceeds to, uh, I'm not going to mess up the name. It's a foundation that helps with sexual reproductive health in Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she's just doing some amazing work for her, uh, size, the protect black women bags, um, I think are amazing. I would love to see it go a little further, um, in the sense of, the messaging of just black women, because we know woman is a loaded term. Mm-hmm. Um, what woman are you talking about in the black community? Um, so just, I would love a little bit more t- uh, nuance there, but, and then brother bellies, I think uh, Aurora J- James's company is uh, she, she's that girl. She's, she, she knows what she's doing. <laughs> I love it. And I love how you gave so many examples, some that I'm aware of and some that I'm not aware of, because as a consumer, you know, I'm a millennial an elder millennial, whatever, but I'm at the point, (laughs) I'm at the point of my life where I have more buying power and I'm being more strategic in who I'm supporting and who I'm not supporting. Of course I do wear certain brands. Like I love universal standard Eloquy, which is the shirt I'm wearing right now, but I support them and 
also Joey Joey Noir, which is a black woman owned brand that was carried in Target recently. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's chic. I'll show it to you after our interview. I'll show you some examples. Okay. But, but I support these brands because of what they stand for, you know, and they stand for supporting not just our community, but other minority communities that are overlooked and overseen and show more diversity in terms of sizing, um, diversity in terms of life experiences, et cetera, et cetera, and their advertising. So those examples are really great. I do hope that these brands stick around for the long haul because one thing that does worry me about black and also um, people of color owned brands, we get all the buildup, right? And then the momentum gets there and then we get locked out when it comes to a certain level of money and funding that we need to take it to the further next level where we either have to shut our brand down or we have to collaborate with a big conglomerate to survive and then we get watered down from there where it doesn't look like us anymore. So those are sometimes my concerns when I see us taking off and like, yeah, let's do it. Let's stay like, you know, keep that ownership with our companies because the moment you give up too much ownership, you don't own your voice as much anymore. You can get easily voted out of your own company mm-hmm. if you choose the wrong kind of board or the wrong kind of investor who just is there for the money and not for the message. So, and a good example of of someone doing that type of work of making sure their narrative is still in their work. And I forgot them. uh, And I'm very remiss for this is Christopher John Rogers. Oh, yes. (laughs) Um, I think he is centering our people, but also making sure he centers his business and you don't touch his business. Mm -hmm. And I think that young man is doing some iconic work. Um, yes. So, yes. And I do think there should be more space for, um, I would love to see more women designers come up in this space. You know, I love seeing black men tap into their creative spirit. It's beautiful, but sometimes I'm remiss when I don't see enough women being represented in those spaces and also, um, curvier women, you know, yeah. like the, the brands create beautiful clothing, but you know, if you are above sometimes a size 12, it kind of limits your options mm-hmm. from there. And, and, and the plus girls, we, we got coin. We want to be cute too. You know, you know, we want to look good in the nice fitted number. We'll, we'll be wearing Spanx, but that's neither here nor there. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so moving on to my next question, not only do you talk to your Zamly, as you like to call them on your social media, but you have a YouTube channel and you teach your family how to slay responsibly through thrifting, consignment, and also finding designer-inspired clothing. I went looking for that Target bag, by the way. It was sold out, but (laughs) at everyday prices. So what has inspired you to use your platform to educate others about sustainability in fashion? And also more importantly, Zay, what is sustainability? Because I think we're a little confused about what the actual meaning is yeah so to be honest what really centers me in sustainability is my blackness period um i think our people have always had to find other means to have nice things um because we didn't have access um and sustainability for me is a it's community it is cooperative and it's making space for people who otherwise would not have space. Um, so yeah, I know you hear me talk a lot about like, okay, if you go to a thrift store, don't just co-op that thrift store and make it all trendy. Don't just buy and overconsume because you're taking out, taking that from somebody else. Did mm-hmm. you actually need that piece? 
Did you act, are you actually going to use that piece, be intentional in the way that you use these spaces? So the reason I started to do YouTube, Instagram, TikTok about all of that is because for me, it was the only way I had access to getting into the conversation. Um, as a non-binary person coming from Austin, Texas, I didn't, couldn't go into a Macy's or a Dillard's and feel safe to even show who I was. Um, and then when I would go into those spaces, I feel like a lot of people would kind of police me. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I realized I was buying things unintentionally because I was trying to get out. I was like, Oh, I'll I'll get this and cool, cool, cool. But when I started going to, uh, consignment stores, thrift stores, secondhand stores, I started to realize that my money had a power, but also my money had an impact. Um, because I was not just helping myself feel safe somewhere. I was also helping somebody else have access to something they otherwise would not. Mm. Um, and so I think like the, you know, the little cases that they normally have, like designer pieces. Yes. I like to tell people who have access, don't buy the things out of there. Like, like, yes, it's cheaper. And yeah, you have access to that somewhere else. That little kid from the Bronx or from Southeast DC they would not have access to that otherwise. Mm-hmm. Let them spend their little $50 to have a piece of Gucci. Yeah. Like I think, and a lot of people don't think about that. They're like, I'm just getting a deal. When you think that way, you're not being sustainable. Yeah. Sustainability is not just an action. It's a mindset. Um, and until people understand that it is a passive and an active process, we, we will not actually be doing it um, as a community. And, you know, you bring up a good point because you mentioned that you're from Austin, Texas. I grew up in Prince George's County in Bladensburg. You know, I'm a PG County girl to the fullest. I like my mambo sauce and my, you know, my wings fried hard with a half and half sweet tea. That is my order. So, (laughs) but I grew up in a single parent home and my mom worked in the federal government. She still does full time. And so she had to present a certain look every single day, but we were middle-class on one income. And I like to clarify that for people's day because people automatically have a perception when you say you were raised by a single parent that you lived. I'm not talking down about anyone who had this experience, but you lived in poverty or in constant struggle. No, we were middle-class on one income. So I spent a lot of my Saturdays, and I have vivid memories of this, sitting on the floor of Burlington Coat Factory. I lie to you not, Zay, with a book, sitting there while my mom sifted through the racks looking for, you know, nice designer suits or things like that at a discount, putting clothes on layaway so she can get my school clothes for me, you know, so I can feel confident when I went to school and things like that. There was nothing wrong with taking different avenues to find what we needed. But she still wore, when she found those Stuart Weissman pumps, she wore those things to church with pride, with her hat tilted to the side in a nice all-black suit for Mother's Day and slayed. No one needed to know those Stuart Weissman pumps came from Burlington Co. Factory. That. That. No one needed to know that (laughs) at all. No one needed to know that when I was younger, my first I was so impressed. My first designer purse was the Dooney and Burke purse. Remember the one with the little bumblebees on it? Yes! (laughs) 
that was my first designer purse that my aunt and uncle gifted me for a birthday present. And while everyone else had Jordans and everything else, I couldn't afford to wear Jordans. I wore K-Swiss. I was wearing like, you know, versions of the Kangol caps and things like that. But I never felt inadequate because I couldn't afford those things. I was just more creative with how I put my looks together and that even reflects to now I could be wearing a nice designer handbag but my outfit itself costs maybe 50 bucks total uh, but I'm buff <laughs> yes so I just think there is value in being aware that when you are taking the time to go to these consignment stores, like you said, to think of the kids who did not grow up being exposed to those designer items all the time and just want a little piece of luxury that they saved up for. Because it means so much when you get that first piece. You feel special. You want to show it off. You want to treasure it. You know, you yes. want to hold on to those things because you don't know when you'll get another chance to have it. And that that's why even me recording right now, I'm recording in my closet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm looking at the things that I have bought for myself from the handbags I've saved up for from I bought my first pair of expensive shoes last year. I treated myself, you know, so these are little things that I feel that are important to note for those who come from spaces where we either didn't have it growing up or we didn't feel safe purchasing that because it was a reflection of our true self out of fear of judgment. Mm-hmm. So, yes. All right. I'm off my soapbox. Off my soapbox. <laughs> so, of course, we know how responsible, how important it is to have representation, right? And seeing you share your story as a Black non-binary individual is needed in our culture to be totally transparent, which can be quite conservative, like you said, um, in your experience growing up in Austin, Texas. And I think it's important to embrace points of view outside of what we're used to in our culture. So you shared a little bit of it, but why is it important for you to start using your platform to not just slay, but to educate and advocate? Yes. Uh, because I think so many people don't know how to do that for themselves. Um, and for me, uh, when I decided like I was non-binary, when I came into my own and realized how that intersected with my blackness, I realized very quickly I had to learn how to speak up for myself, but also make spaces around me better. Because at the end of the day, if I didn't work to make those better, they were gonna continue to harm people like me. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so many people, I say this on almost, uh, almost Zemus all the time is, People come to my DMs and they won't comment on my pe- on my on the photo, but they'll be like, "Thank you." Mm-hmm. Um, I never would have known that information hadn't you have made that video or hadn't you worn that dress about who you are and about those type of experiences. And I'm just like, no, that's okay. And I think it's about us humanizing one another to realize that your experience might not be the exact same as somebody else's. However, you can find empathy in their story because you've gone through something. When you were speaking, I'm also, my mom was a single, uh, I was in a single family household too, that was middle uh, income as well. And my mom, I would always say, made diamonds out of oil fields for me. Yeah. Um, And it was because she also showed me how to be kind to other people and how to see people who might not see themselves. And I think that is a 
something I just really care about is, you know, how can you make a space safe for someone? I have really appreciated that when you said that when we started. Um, that is a space that someone could just come to and just not always offload on you because that's not healthy, but <laughs> know they have someone to turn to, um, not just to learn from, but they know will be in their corner. Mm-hmm. And I think that you brought up a good point um, because for example, a celebrity example is Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle Union. Exactly. Now we're going to make some people mad right now, yeah. but I don't, I don't care. It's my platform. So yeah. when Zaya Wade <laughs> decided that she wanted to be known with the pronouns of she and her black Twitter and Twitter in general, but black Twitter was in an uproar about this. They were questioning Dwayne Wade's parenting abilities. There were celebrities like little Boosie who had all kinds of, mm -hmm, had all kinds of opinions about how Dwayne should be raising his child. And I think when we allow for those projections to become the rule and not the exception, we create a space where our black children cannot feel safe in their own home, cannot feel safe of being who they really are. And I know it's hard sometimes because every generation is different. I know it's hard sometimes to understand where that child or where that person is coming from, but you have to be willing to learn at the same time. Yes, you may not have all the answers, but take the time to learn because it's already hard not being black out here. Hello, you're, it's it's going to be one more layer of challenge when your child decides to be who they really are. The last thing they need is their parent making them feel like they're not seen in their own home or deciding yep. that you cannot be yourself in your own home and you have to live somewhere else. Mm-hmm. That's not okay. Mm-hmm. So I think that there is maybe in the next, I wouldn't say next generation's day, I would say really two to three. Mm-hmm. Let's be real. But maybe in the next two to three generations, we'll see a shift in that mindset in terms of acceptance amongst our own, which will help us develop a stronger community. Because we can't just advocate for one group and forget the other four, five, six, seven, and eight that live within our culture. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's that's not me trying to stand on my soapbox, but just my own personal feelings. <laughs> and and then if I get into my last question, I just want to know from you as your Zamly continues to grow, what is your vision in evolving your platform? Social media is beautiful, but it also is a springboard in moving forward, right? And developing even more avenues to reaching people who need to hear your story and more about who you are and the change that you're bringing to your community. So are there any new projects or partnerships that you're working on that you would like to share? Yes, um, there are two or three. Um, So one, I think I'm doing a lot of work around working with brands and not the normal partnership way. I'm not looking for partnerships or you just give me stuff. I want partnerships where you let me in the room. Um, And so we can have actual discussions about what's going on or why you only went to a size 18 or 14 in certain things. And how do you make that more inclusive? Um, So I'm working with a lot of brands in that avenue and really excited. Um, But also I'm working on some actual handbag educational materials for y'all. Um, so creating guides and creating a lexicon of different terms and different things just to make sure people uh, know 
know what is what. And I'm going to do that in two formats. One will be a free version and then one will be a more like subscription based um, so that people can have that monthly um, Mm -hmm. that comes out. Um, And the last thing is really trying to, um, like you said, take almost Zamas all of just social media, but into the community. And what does that look like? Um, You really kind of inspired me through this conversation um, about you said you're looking around your room and about different things that you could give to people and they could steward over. There are so many bags I have that I'm just like, I could be partnering with Goodwill or Second Avenue or different places and set up a weekend where I bring bags and have people stop by and I educate them over them and then donate them to them. Um, so they know what they're getting, but also at a, a reduced price. Um, so, yeah. I think that's really good. And I think it's important to continue to grow your Xamily and, you know, create that visibility because we need it, especially here in the DMV area. We're in the center of we're the center of power in the United States. So why not use your power for a good influence? Right. Mm-hmm. OK, so this is the fun part of the interview. These are my quick fire questions. Now, remember, this is the top of the dome. It does not have to be a perfect answer, but are you ready? Yes. Okay. If you were a superhero, what powers would you have? Elements. Ooh, (laughs) I like that earth, wind, and fire. Okay. (laughs) Okay. It's karaoke night. You out. You look good. It's your time up on the mic. What song or rap would you just body at karaoke night? I'm changing from Dream Girls. Okay. Now the J-HUD version or the The original? Okay. Okay. And then finally, since this is Coffee with Yvonne, if you were a coffee, what kind of coffee would you be? I'd be a vanilla latte with breve. So nice and smooth with a little little kick. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. See, that was the easiest quick fire question. Sometimes people are like, wait. What what kind of powers would I have? <laughs> well, Zay, I want to thank you so much for joining me for coffee. Um, how can people find out more about you and your brand? Because the Zamly is a brand, so just own it. So how can they find out about you? Thank you so much. Uh, you can follow me on YouTube at Almost Zamus, if you just put that in. And Zamus is Z-A-Y-M-O-U-S. And on Instagram at almost.zamus. And TikTok is just Almost Zamus. Wonderful. Well, Zay, thank you so much for joining me for coffee uh, for Black Fashion, Black Culture Part 2. And I really look forward to seeing how you grow with your brand. And I cannot wait to support you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right. Talk to you soon. Weren't they great, y'all? It was such a fun conversation with them. I love when I'm following people on social media and they actually end up being great in real life. I hope you enjoyed today's chat. To learn more about me and my business, Pink Dollhouse Marketing, check out my website, pinkdollhousemarketing.com or follow me on my business page on Instagram. You can slide into my DMs at Pink Dollhouse Marketing. Thank you again to our sponsor, Black Nerd Coffee. Chat with you soon. Bye. Coffee with Yvonne is produced and edited by Yvonne Pearson. Coffee with Yvonne is created by Pink Dollhouse Marketing. Catch the latest episodes by subscribing on Apple Podcasts.